The longer he lived, the more Tyrion realized that nothing was simple and little was true. Hello, and welcome to 2C1C, a Game of Thrones living card game podcast founded in 2010 by myself, Will Lentz, Greg Atkinson, and Brad Zeiler. These days, my co-hosts may differ, but we're generally pulling from at least some familiar core voices. Many thanks go out to Fantasy Flight Games' George R. R. Martin, Card Game DB, and Josh Woodward for the CC licensed music you're hearing now. This is Season 5. Welcome back to yet another episode of Two Champs and a Chump. Uh, been a while since we've had an episode like this, but this is going to be a little bit of a different one, listeners. This episode is all just yours truly. That's right, two and a half hours of nothing but canon. Okay, so there's no way in hell I'm actually going to fill two and a half hours all on my lonesome, but uh, due to a variety of scheduling and technical difficulties... Uh, looks like we are down to just myself this week. Now, fortunately, uh, we have had... Uh, a little bit of new interesting stuff lately. Of course, we had that new chapter pack coming out. And uh, so we had an idea that we were going to tackle for this week. We were going to look at building a Baratheon aloof and a part deck. Um, and Aaron had actually already started on a rough draft of this deck, which he had sent me. I've had a little bit of time to talk, or sorry, to look over, and I spent a bit of time uh, talking over it here with um, Mark from Armeta. Some of you uh, may have seen him uh, or know of him playing in Tulsa and at Gen Con. He's appeared on our show and briefly on uh, Beyond the Wall, uh, and is an all-around pretty good guy to be bouncing some ideas off of. He didn't have enough time to... Uh, sit down and really jump in to record the episode with me, but at least uh, some of the concepts and things here are things that we did uh, talk over and I kind of bounced off of another uh, brain. So for a slightly different format here, we're going to start with the uh, the skeleton deck list that um, Aaron set up, and I'm going to go ahead and walk through a bit of things in it. And uh, some of the changes and tweaks that I would probably do uh, to keep working on this. So for anybody that doesn't have the list in front of them, and I will uh, go post it to CardGameDB, um, here's the, the list as he had it. Uh, it's currently at 64 cards and with only six plots. So if nothing else, it needs a little tweak to be legal. But, uh, of course, he has the Part agenda. His plots are Retaliation... Men of Pride, Mel's Scheme, Valor Morgulis, Forgotten Plans, and Fury of the Stag. Uh, he has two events, Fiery Kiss, uh, and 20 locations. One Shadow Black Lane, Flea Bottom, and Street of Sisters. Three Narrow Seas, two Black Cells, one Street of Silk and Street of Steel, three Aegon's Garden, three Seed of Power, 
one river row, two bitter bridge, and a singleton heron hall. Now on the character front, he has one Willis Tyrell, two Dale Seaworth, two Salador's crew, one Maria Seaworth, three Highgarden refugee, uh, two Melisandre, that's the return of the others, the, the rush, unopposed, and dominance one, uh, three of the Laughing Storm from Gates of the Citadel, two Ashai Initiate, uh, sorry, three Royal Entourage, three Val, one Robert Baratheon, that's the corset, one King Robert's Host, three Stannis Baratheon, that's Super Stannis from Valor Margolis, that's immune to locations, one Sir Eldon Estremont, two Salador Son, now that's the meal to discard a location, Salador, out of the Kings of the Storm box, uh, one Shadow Killer, one Maester Crescent, of course that's the Shadows one, uh, that offers some recursion. Cold Hands, that's, you know, the good one. Uh, the Champ card, designed by my good buddy Brett Zeiler, and former co-host. Uh, the brand new Shadows Night, Night of Flowers from Secrets and Schemes. And uh, three of the Brightwater Man-at-Arms. Then on the attachment front, he has five. He has three Melisandre's Favor and two copies of the Targaryen attachment, Unburnt. So... I should probably take a moment to explain about why he slipped on burnting here. And there's an interesting quirk with aloof and apart. Uh, now, there's some, some specific wording on here on the printed version of the agenda, and uh, folks were definitely really worried when we first saw aloof and apart spoiled because it looked like uh, it had the potential to be really abusive in conjunction with Gaston Gray to be able to bounce something like the Red Viper and continually replay him at minus two cost and uh, really offset quite a bit of the resource disadvantage in continually doing that. Now, the printed version has fixed that loophole uh, by stating the, that uh, the characters you control with printed cost four or higher gain prize one while leaving play and cannot be returned to your hand by your card effects or to pay costs. Uh, so, of course, the pay costs is going to fix the Gaston Gray business. But the first part there, where they can't be returned by your card effects, uh, causes some issues, shall we say, with other cards uh, in the environment. Unburnt being kind of the flagship uh, example at the moment... If you drop Unburnt on one of your 4-plus cost characters, you now essentially have infinite saves on that character. Uh, you'll save them with Unburnt, then uh, the attachment cannot return them to hand, and they'll just stay on the board saved. Uh, now, of course, that's barring a cancel or something, uh, or attachment removal. There's some ways to, to deal with that sort of thing. But I think uh, it's definitely a, uh, a tricky wicket. Now, there's a few other cards that that does work with. Um, Ambush from the Plains, for instance, could pop someone into play from your hand or your discard pile, and then they will stay in play. Um, the Neutral Wall that drops in a Defender will leave them in play, provided they're, of course, above four cost. Um, now, gr granted, you're also going to be in a bit of a uh, tough boat, because if you're running the Aloof and Apart agenda... Uh, those Night's Watch probably don't have icons, so they're going to be less useful going forward. Uh, but there are defi definitely a, a handful of cards that have this interaction. Um, unfortunately, I kind of expect FFG will find one way or another um, to address this in an FAQ. 
and close that loophole. Uh, the only reason I actually say unfortunately, because I would kind of like it to be addressed, is that I really feel like I don't want to bank this deck uh, on what amounts to a rules loophole uh, at the moment. So I'm going to go ahead and drop the two copies of Unburnt. So we're down to 62 cards. Now, another thing I want to take a look at is his choice of restricted cards. And uh, his choice, of course, is Val, which pretty much uh, instantly means you also fill up three slots with the Knight of Flowers. And Val, I really have to admit, I'm not sold on um, in this deck. Now, Mark and I talked, and I think there's definitely some potential possibilities uh, with her. Um, I think you probably really want to be looking at running Renly out of the Baratheon core box for the additional uh, static cost removal to help out with her because um, you know you're already winding up with kind of a kind of a top heavy deck here that is going to cause some uh, some issues when you're randomly flipping that top card with Val. I think you're you're much less likely, even with the cost reduction to your first one from the agenda, uh, you're much less likely to be able to fully utilize uh, your three reveals off of Val as you are uh, in a deck with a more normal, shall we say, cost curve. Um, so I think at the moment I probably want to drop her and free up those slots. So we'll drop three copies of her, and for the moment we'll probably just drop two copies of the Laughing Storm and leave one in. He's still a relatively uh, cost-effective character as a 3 for 3 with a couple icons and deadly uh, and a useful uh, ability. So, you know, that helps us bring the deck down a little bit more. We're down to 57. There's still a couple other characters that right offhand I would probably uh, look at dropping, or, or at least one. I'm not really sold on this Shadows... Uh, sub theme we've got going right now we've got what two black cells uh we have the one crescent the one shadow killer and the one knight of flowers um make sure i'm not missing anything oh of course the two fiery kiss so grand total we have seven shadows cards in here um none of which actually return themselves to shadows um, so we don't have additional ways to continually trigger the black cells. It's just seven shots, and it's done. And that's provided our draws uh, cooperate. Seven sounds like a lot, but uh, when you're look at, looking at those triggers being spread out all throughout the deck, um, I'm not really sold on that. So, you know, I would probably go ahead and drop the Shadow Killer, uh, despite the fact that I do kind of like um, how it's probably going to interact with command with our higher curve. We're going to have poor setups uh, and be down on command in the early game. The Shadow Killer is just really expensive, uh, which doesn't interact well with the rest of the deck being really expensive, and doesn't interact with the agenda since you're playing it into shadows and bringing it out of shadows. You can't actually use the reduction on him. So I'm, I'm going to drop him, and I'm definitely going to drop the two uh, black cells. I think the other Shadows cards we're probably okay with for right now, um, but that front you know, is something I definitely want to lower. 
So then, uh, that brings me back around to the plots for the moment because of the issue of command. And the more I look at the way this deck uh, is going to have to be structured on the cost scale, um, the more I really feel like the river plots are the way to go for it. And Aaron did mention briefly uh, when he sent me this list that he'd been thinking about it. And definitely after talking with Mark, I really feel it's the right way to go um, because mainly of uh, the Red One Straits. Now, for the same reason I mentioned a moment ago with the Shadow Killer, uh, with this upper end of our cost curve, we're going to have some pretty poor setups, which means turn one, uh, we're probably going to be down on command and be able to start out the game with eight gold, thanks to Red One Straits. And again, with that high cost curve, we could really use that. The As long as we have at least one character in hand, to get the cost reduction of a of aloof and a part, then we're basically setting on ten gold on that first turn, which I think goes a pretty long way to helping make up for uh, for the setback of that lower setup. Um, of course, with river plots, that also brings us back around to both crossings. Crossing the Ruby Ford, I think, is another solid fit to uh, help slow the other player down. We are probably also likely to be off to a slower start. Um, than some other decks, and uh, even just a couple power that we can knock off with crossing the Ruby Ford uh, could be that extra turn that we need uh, to really get things our direction. Plus, it's pretty high gold itself, um, so again, it's going to help us out with our curve tending toward the higher end of the spectrum. And then that brings us to crossing the Mummer's Ford, kind of the elephant in the room there, and the reason to go with Rivers really as the restricted plot. It's going to provide us with the card advantage that we need to go long game uh, with this deck. And I, I think really, again, because of that curve, I prefer getting these cards into hand and being able to choose when I can play them out and structure my plays and my gold usage uh, to have the best impact for my turn, rather than that gamble uh, on Val, uh, which just has the potential, I feel, to be a little too awkward um, in this setup. So let's go ahead. We're going to drop some of the hits plots down. We're going to drop the Retaliation, the Met of Pride, the Forgotten Plans, and the Fury of the Stag. So that leaves us with two plots in there, Melisandre Scheme and Valor Margolis. To that, of course, we are going to add our Redwind Straits, or crossing the Ruby Ford, and crossing the Mummers Ford. That gives us three rivers uh, out of our seven plots, and we're at five plots total. So we've still got a couple slots to fill. I would lean, I think, uh, towards Shores of Nysar for a little bit more card advantage. Always solid there, uh, and adds up over the, the course of a couple triggers for sure. Um, and aside from that, while Under the Bridge of Dream is really tempting to copy Crossing the Armors Ford on a later turn, its gold production uh, is fairly low on top of this other stuff here. Now, you know, the other plot that I'm going to put forward is also effectively a three gold plot, or is a three gold, while Under the Bridge of Dream is effectively three. But I feel like we're going to get more use of At the Palace of Sorrow uh, to bounce something like a deal or a crescent. Uh, back to our hand and be able to 
uh, keep rolling with some of our uh, some of our other options uh, for reduction by bringing back, say, an arrow C or a seat of power. Uh, there's also some potential with revealing it uh, to pop a Heron Hall back in hand and reset it. Uh, or even potentially, uh, if there's a better target for cold hands on the board, to pop him back uh, to the top of the deck and then redraw him and replay him and you know knock out somebody else that's going to be a little more practical. So I'm going to lean towards At the Palace of Sorrow for my seventh plot uh, and stick with Mel's scheme instead of uh, Under the Bridge of Dream. Uh, since Mel's scheme actually has a point more of gold and is still going to provide us with some, some card advantage uh, as that game goes on. So, let's see. We're sitting at 54 cards right now. Uh, seems like a pretty uh, solid split between everything. Um, I do like the Fiery Kisses, I definitely have to say. Uh, income locations look pretty good. We have, I believe, 15 here. 1, 2, 3, uh, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Uh, pretty high, but again, our curve is pretty high. Uh, the one Heron Hall may be enough uh, to see things through here, but while we have the Mel's Favor option available uh, with Heron Hall, uh, and a lot of marshalling phase uh, kneel actions on those reducers. I feel like I'm probably going to go ahead and bump up to two Heron Halls um, so that we can up our potential to abuse that particular combo to steal the opponent's character and then kill them to Heron Hall. Plus, uh, that gives us a little better odds of drawing it, being able to use it a couple times, and then uh, bounce it with the river plot as needed. So that brings us up to 19 locations, uh, 55 cards total, uh, the three attachments being at Melisandre's favor, I think I'm okay with at the moment. Uh, though let's see what we have in the character base. We're at 31. Uh, we don't have very many intrigue icons, so it might be worth taking a look at what other intrigue icons we could potentially add to this mix. Okay, with a little search uh, through Card Game DB, uh, I do turn up, I think, at least one uh, likely option that I would like to see in the deck here, and that is going to be actually the Dual House uh, Lannister and Stark Littlefinger. Now, of course, he is cost 5, but he does have a built-in cost reduction for every card in Shadows. Now, I pulled a couple of the Shadows cards out of this deck, so I do admit uh, that doesn't uh, play quite as nicely with him as I would hope, but there is a chance that uh, my opponent has a Shadows card or two around, plus, of course, the uh, cost reduction of Aloof and Apart is going to knock out his out-of-house penalty, essentially. And we do have the narrow seas that can be used to reduce his cost as well, uh, since he is a start card. So I would definitely like to throw a copy of him in. He has a lot of presence uh, in the challenge phase by not kneeling to attack and having stealth. So I think he's got a pretty solid home here uh, in the deck. Now, looking at other options here, um, 
again, kind of in the start Baratheon and neutral category, because uh, I would like to, to not push too hard with, with out-of-house characters, as nice as it is to, to lop off that out-of-house penalty. I'm not seeing too much else that I would maybe want to go ahead and drop in. Uh, Roose Bolton also does not kneel to attack, um, but not sure he has quite the same level of punch in this deck as uh, we're getting out of that little finger. Now we do, however, in the in Baratheon, have the option for the uh, smuggler, Davos Seaworth, who's going to bring uh, a pretty solid body to the table at that four-cost slot, a naval enhancement on his military icon, which... Um, you know, is never terrible, though maybe not huge for him, but he also has Renown and Melee, and is probably going to always count his strength for dominance as well, which I think means he's probably going to grab a couple power uh, around as he's there on the board. So I do feel like dropping in a copy of Davos there. I think that helps for sure. That brings us up to 57 cards. 33 of which are characters. And, um, you know, also in that front, if we drop out of the Intrigue Icon bit, uh, since I'm not, you know, entirely beholden to, to filling the deck up with that, um, there is a card I would like to see a copy of, and that is the uh, King Renly that we had mentioned before. Now, he doesn't play super well with this Stannis, so I wouldn't want to go gung-ho with him. Uh, but maybe one copy, I kind of want to see how that plays out um, and see if he just lets us just keep dropping tons of stuff uh, on the board here. So ju just one copy of him uh, to feel things out. Now, as far as the rest of the deck goes, we're back up to 58 at the moment here, um, and we really don't have much in the way of surprise stuff. I feel like we've got a pretty solid character base, uh, a lot of strength we can bring to the table there, a little bit of control through Mel Sunder's favor, uh, but I kind of feel like we should find a couple more events to help round things out uh, for the last couple cards, so let's take a look and see what we find. Now, I've been taking a bit of a look through the Baratheon events, because by and large, in-house stuff is going to wind up being a little bit more powerful here. And I've got a couple uh, front runners that I've been looking at. I think Direct Assault is definitely a nice possibility to give us a little additional location control to go along with uh, my favorite Salador song there. Uh, plus, the Strength Boost is always nice. We've got some... Uh, some great targets for it, um, particularly in the Brightwater Man-at-Arms, uh, who are really pushing things through with those deadly non-kneeling challenges. So that seems solid. Uh, you know, part of me kind of wants to throw in a uh, glamour of fire uh, with a bit more dead pile shenanigans to bring some stuff back right as the opponent thought that it was gone for good. Um, there's... You know, part of me that wishes I could fit in another uh, direct character kill, like Terminal Schemes, but I really don't think we have the intrigue presence for it. Uh, the more I look at these available events, I kind of feel like Obey the King is probably the option we want here. It's going to provide us with a little bit more of uh, control, 
options on the board uh, to be able to kneel out an opponent's character that has a power on it. Uh, and this one is nicely a, a surprise effect here in Challenges. Uh, now, not all of the opponent's characters will have power, but it is at least a possibility. But it's uh, so wonderfully flexible to be able to use to stand our own characters, because, you know, as Baratheon, quite a few of these characters do have renown. So uh, there are definitely some that we're going to want to go ahead and stand if the opportunity arises. Uh, say, potentially someone like Sir Eldon Estramon looks like a great uh, possibility to me to go ahead and um, stand there. So I'm going to drop a couple Obey the Kings in the deck. That brings us up to 60 cards. We're going to go ahead and save this so we don't lose any progress just in case. So the deck, I feel, really is in a pretty solid spot. Uh, it's got some good card advantage options to uh, kind of build up to that slow roll there. Uh, Bitterbridge is going to be really nice to make sure that uh, if we lose any of these big expensive characters from hand that we're really counting on being able to play the next turn, uh, Bitterbridge is just going to drop it right back in hand uh, so that we can just keep going. Uh, King Robert's Host is going to be phenomenal whenever we are uh, able to play it for two gold. Um, if we already have a king or a king, in, king or queen in play, though, uh, you know, we really only have kings in the deck with Stannis and Renly. We won't make any particular arguments on the show about Renly being counted as a queen. Um, and overall, I think it's not too bad. So our final icon spread at the moment looks like uh, about 40% power, 34 will round up just uh, a touch to 35% uh, percent military, and 25 on intrigue, which maybe is about the best that we could hope for um, on that. So we'll see. Um, as far as our cards go, we've got, uh, what, 12 cards with 4 cost, 2 with 5 cost, and 1 with 8, though we will hopefully never be paying printed cost for any of those. Uh, but we still have a, a respectable amount of things at the lower end of the spectrum, and particularly all of those uh, zero-cost locations, the majority of which here are non-limited. I think are going to be able to help offset some of our uh, setup woes. We still have a little bit of stuff for claim soak, uh, with things like the refugees, and even if something untoward would happen to one of these big, uh, unique characters that we have multiples of in the deck, like, say, Stannis, then we've got a shy initiate to move them into the discard pile so that we can play them again. Now... That does bring to light an interesting note, though. As we look at the deck, how many of these big characters do we have multiples of? At least, uniques. Um, Dale is not in the four-cost bracket, though we don't mind moving a dead Dale to discard so we can play another one. We have two Malisandros. We have uh, three Stannis and two Salador Sons. Those are the only things we've duplicated. So, one, two, three, four, uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine potential uh, targets there via Shine Initiate if we need to, to move something into the discard pile. 
Um, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to be super important uh, if we don't see him until fairly late in the game. I think I'm willing to go ahead and drop a copy of him, and here I am actually going to go ahead and push our curve up again just a little bit more, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and keep our icon spread, at least on Intrigue icons the same. I'm going to push the military just a little bit more. I really felt like we needed to fit in a copy of the Bastard of Night song. Uh, he just has a great icon pair, a uh, solid ratio on his cost to strength, and a very solid ability to both slow the opponent uh, and speed me up all at the same time. I think he'll be a great addition to that deck there. So that brings us to 60, and I think for my rough draft, uh, or maybe my first edit of Aaron's rough draft, I think this is probably where I'm going to sit for the moment. I'll go ahead and post this updated version along with the original and uh, see what you guys think. See if you would have stuck with the bow restricted uh, route or if you think moving to the rivers was the right choice or if you maybe would have looked at something else entirely for that restricted slot. Uh, so let us know in the comments. Props and slops. Okay, of course, props and slops probably going to be pretty short with just me on the show. So here's the big thing I'm going to throw out there. I'm going to prop a new television show I've been watching, and I'm going to tell you right now, dear listeners, it is hands down the best new show that I've seen on TV in the last six months. Yeah, that's right. I've been enjoying it more than The Flash. I've been enjoying it more than Constantine, which I really loved. It's better than Season 2 S.H.I.E.L.D. It's better than Agent Carter. That show is Gallivant. You heard me. Gallivant. Now, if you haven't heard of this show yet, it's on ABC, which is kind of amazing to me. Uh, but it's just a little half-hour kind of sitcom uh, miniseries that they're doing, and the way I've been describing it to friends uh, who have not heard of it so far is, okay, um, you've seen or heard of The Princess Bride, right? Uh, probably Stardust by now? Okay. Take those films, be thinking about uh, that whole kind of fairy tale love story sort of thing, okay? Now I want you to think about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes, I know you all watched it at least in middle school, Probably many times you may have watched it last week. Okay, remember the Camelot uh, song and dance sequence, which was ludicrous and amazing and pretty hilarious on there? Okay, cross that with Princess Bride and Stardust. Bingo, you have Gallivant. It is phenomenal. Now, I admit it's kind of a uh, specific type of humor for a lot of folks, but I have to give them props uh, for doing this. The writers, producers, whoever... Definitely, certainly, the actors have just taken this and really gone balls to the wall with it. Uh, and they just said, you know, how just campy, over the top can we be? What sort of jokes can we fit in here? Um, and they are really nailing it, I think. There's a few jokes that fall flat. Episode 3, I feel, was not as good as 1, 2, or 4. Uh, but four of them are out right now. I, th I think I'd read uh, somewhere that it was supposed to be an eight-part miniseries. So it's only about halfway. They're all on Hulu, um, and it's a half-hour show on broadcast, so by the time you cut out most of the commercials, 
thanks to Hulu, you're down to, what, 22 minutes or something? So go check it out, folks. It's hilarious. Aside from that, Archer's back again. This season's looking pretty great, so we'll see you in the Danger Zone. Go.